Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. And welcome to your March 25th edition of Flyers Daily. Player profiles are underway. Scott Lawton was on Monday. Today is Justin Braun. And joining us for this episode is Bill Meltzer from NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, HockeyBuzz.com. Bill, are you writing for anybody else these days? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I'm, staying, I'm staying busy. You know, it's a good thing staying busy. I'm grateful. Yeah, well, we, we have a lot to actually to get into. Let's start kind of with some news that uh, just broke not too too long ago on the NHL front as teams are uh, still obviously observing the pause and uh, we're probably still relatively early in this process. But the NHL has instructed its players, team staff, to extend their self-quarantine now for another 10 days. That'll take us now to April 6th. Is there any shock here in this from you uh, based on how the uh, pandemic has developed, or should we take anything out of this news? No, I, I don't think there's any surprise whatsoever, especially once two Ottawa players you know, tested positive for COVID-19. I, I expected the self-quarantine period to be, to be extended, um, even though you know, those two players have supposedly had mild symptoms, and that, that, that's good news. Um, they'll pull, th- they pull, pull through it fine. But, you know, there's already two cases in the league, and, and you, I don't know, it was Vancouver Canucks, a couple of people in Vancouver Canucks staff tested positive. And, you know, there's also, the, also all the local ordinances as well. So it, it didn't surprise me whatsoever. Uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I don't think it I don't think it materially alters any kind of timetables or aren't even any timetables at this point. It's just uh, I just think it, it's the, you know, the smart thing to do. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, frankly, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't heard more names of players that contracted uh, COVID-19, at least to this point. We may still hear and it could be more widespread across the NHL as we go. But um, frankly, I'm surprised that we haven't heard that yet as we're now uh, two weeks past the last game that the league has played. Uh, Two weeks ago was, you know, the last games in the NHL on that Wednesday evening. Um, but Bill, the one thing is, is, is when you look at it and I've been hearing a lot of interviews with Bill Daly and other NHL dignitaries. And, um, I, f- I found it a little odd that the, the thirst for the 82 game next season has taken priority over the Stanley cup playoffs this season. Were you, are you surprised at that fact that Bill Daly has articulated that? Yeah. You know, it, um, there's been, I think, there has been a little bit of a shift there. Um, the the early things that were articulated by the league seem to, you know, put the priority on, on making sure the Stanley Cup is awarded this season. It, it uh, you know, I, I don't know how much of how much of just being cautious, but yeah, I mean, I I think that once you're really seventy games into a season, there is a window of time to be able to do this, unless there is, you know, and we do we don't know. I mean, we don't we don't know what's said behind closed doors. You know, there there are people that you know we we all speak with, but nobody really knows, you know, nobody I've talked with at least that really, you know, really has any kind of definitive direction from the, from the league or from their organizations or whatever. I I think that everybody is still in wait and see mode. And, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it does surprise me if, um, you know, if, if starting next season on time and getting all 82 games in, does that end up taking precedence over, you know, over awarding the Stanley cup? Um, you know, but that, that, that does seem to be a shift taking place there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was a little bit surprised. Sure. Well, well, the the other part of the equation now too, is the Olympics have been removed from the equation. 
because yeah. uh, it looks like they're going to be moved to 2021. Um, you know, with so many countries being involved in the Olympics and Canada uh, and other countries saying that they will not send their athletes um, this year. Obviously, different levels of uh, COVID-19 pandemic could be happening at that time. Who knows if we're even through it here in the United States or in Canada. Uh, but that being said, so the Olympics are now out of the way. And the other thing that really stuck out to me that Bill Daly, I think the interview was with uh, Sportsnet 590 in Toronto with Tim and Sid, where the other thing that stuck out to me, Bill, was that um, this notion of a really short offseason wouldn't be something that was possible, as was in the player's proposal, which we talked about a week ago. Um, uh, he seemed to indicate that it is very possible because they have this time off now, as he alluded to it. And one of the questions that was brought up to Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, was uh, ice conditions. And he, he seemed pretty nonchalant in his answer, saying we can take care of ice conditions, whether that's getting dehumidifiers into rinks or whatever it might be, especially in areas like Tampa or for, you know, for instance, you know, for an example, when a team, it's not only going to be hot, obviously, in Tampa in July and August, but there could be a lot of humidity and that really can affect ice surfaces. I was, I was really kind of thinking, and well, maybe this player's proposal is a little bit more alive than I thought it could be. Yeah, I, I mean that—that that certainly is a possibility. I—I I, I think that ice conditions, you know, truthfully, you—you see—you see what you know. You, you, I mean, you still have games where you know the ice condition, the ice gets really soft as the playoffs go along. Some buildings aren't don't have the best ice to begin with, even the dead of winter. Um, it, it is—I mean, it is a factor. I don't think it will prevent games being played. Um, you know, I mean, I, I remember um, the, before we went on the air, you and I were talking a little bit about the 87 Cup Finals. I mean, the, you know, as dramatic and as wonderful as that series was, the ice in Philadelphia for the spectrum of that series was brutal. It was brutal. And that was you still know? May. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was in May. And, yeah, and May 29th, it, I believe. Yeah. July conditions and whatever. I, I'm, you know, I'm personally a little skeptical as to, you know, what the ice conditions would be like. But, um, you know, but I don't think it would prevent the games being played. I think they could manage it enough that you get the games in. You know, it, would, it certainly wouldn't be ideal. I actually think that soft ice would be, you know, be a factor, bounces of the puck. And, you know, I mean, I just, of course, of course, on the flip side, of course, is that both uh, both teams would be in the same boat. So it's not, uh, not an advantage one side or the other necessarily. Um, I don't know. The other, the other thing to me also with uh, a really short offseason, yeah, their players are getting time off now. But I mean that that's like saying by midseason players aren't aren't a little worn down. They clearly are. That's that's part of why there's there's a bye week in the first place. And um, you know, just just the intensity. You know, no, no, mind you, you know, it would only be a only be a couple teams affected would have deep playoff runs. So that that is that is a factor as well. But I mean, um, you know, I know Bundy has expressed skepticism. The teams could, you know, they, it, it's an all out sprint, right? If, particularly if you play any more regular season games. Sprint to get in the playoffs. You know, the playoffs are, are uh, you know, are, they're a sprint and they're also a marathon just because, you know, by the end of by the end of two series, three series into the finals, teams are pretty beat up. And to, you know, then then start the marathon of an NHL regular season uh, a couple of months later. I mean, that's going to be a pretty big disadvantage for whatever teams reach the finals. They'll, they'll, they'll be worn down to a nub and to, to have a, you know, even to, to get an 82 game season or close to that. I don't know. I mean, it, there, there's a whole lot of things to consider there. I certainly hope, uh, you know, I'm really pulling that there, there's a Stanley cup awarded and, and there's, there's an improvement beyond, beyond just the hockey level, of course, but all, but on the hockey level that it, it can get in, 
Um, I, I do think they don't want to pull the plug on, on any of the possibilities. They want to have, you know, every possible scenario alive in one. And how, how could it be workable? And I, and I think that's what they have to do. They have to consider any possible way to be able to finish the season and award a cup. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's the other thing that Bill made clear. Like, you know, there's no such thing as a bad idea in this entire scenario. The other thing that was, uh, that's been kind of floating around hockey circles and heard Brian Burke talking about it, former general manager, um, was that uh, teams potentially because of what, however this off season goes, or maybe if they, you know, they don't get the remainder of this regular season or a playoff in the effect on the cap is, is, is pretty, is pretty tough. And it's not only tough just from an earning perspective, but it's also tough on general managers because they kind of plan deadline deals and those kind of things based on a rising cap and by no fault of anybody's, the cap could either be the same or well below uh, what it was this past year. They're shooting for eighty-one and a half million. Um, so the idea of maybe a compliance buyout was was floated. Uh, Brian Burke was stri- stringently against it, unless you're going to renegotiate the CBA, uh, which is not going to happen. Um, but I did see an article uh, on Sportsnet. Uh, Luke Fox wrote uh, the top eleven candidates for a compliance buyout, and I'm happy to say that not a flyer existed on the list. <laughs> So that's <laughs> a good end, thing. That's always a good thing. There, there's not a certain goaltender that uh, you know would be yep. on the top of everybody's list. Uh, you know, back back when that previous CBA was uh, was negotiated. No, I mean, you know, that's uh, that's definitely a good thing. And um, yeah, I mean, that, as you said, that's been the, that's been something that that I've seen floated as well. That you could have one buyout uh, at you you buy it out dollar for dollar, but there is there would be no cap implications on it. Um, you know, I, I can understand why the you know, you open up that can of worms, and all of a sudden, you open up all kinds of cans of worms when you're when the CBA is up again. So I, I don't I don't see that happening as as much as that would benefit you know some teams in in tough cap spaces. Yeah, some of the ones that stuck out to me: the Lucic deal, four years left at six million dollars cap hit. I, when he signed the deal uh, in Edmonton, I didn't like it. Now he's in Calgary, and they're saddled with it because they traded one problem for another. And James Neal's another guy that is listed on there. Oddly enough, Henrik Lundqvist is a guy that's listed on there with just one year left, but an $8.5 million hit. David Backus is a guy that they're just trying to bury that contract. But Sergei Bobrovsky would have six years left at $10 million per year. Yeah. I understood why you, you signed a guy to that contract and you used a first-round draft pick in the teens to take Spencer Knight, but that's what uh, Florida decided to do, and maybe that's why it's Florida being Florida. But. Uh, I digress. Um, Bill, our player profile tonight is Justin Braun, one of the new additions to the Flyers this offseason. One of the moves that I think Chuck Fletcher probably when he met with Elaine Vigneault said, I'm going to get you a couple of veteran defensemen. One of them was Matt Niskanen, the other one the subject of our player profile, and Justin Braun. What has he meant to this Flyers team uh, in just having that veteran presence back there along with Matt Niskanen? Uh, as you said, just a rock of consistency. You know, um, Braun and Niskanen are both guys who played in a Stanley Cup final. They both played in a conference final and in a year separate from that as well. So those are guys who have been on teams that have, that have gone deep in the playoffs, added another right-handed shot to the mix. Um, you know, he's been, a, he's been a mainstay in the penalty kill. He's up on the team in block shots. Um, I actually, and um, so, so that uh, listeners are aware, what we've been doing is the day following um, Jason's player profiles on, on Flyers Broadcast Network, we've been doing one on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com on the same player. So it's, it's a mixture of analysis of their season and, you know, uh, what are key factors that have affected their season. And there's 
there's um highlight video clips there's there's quotes as well so it, it's it's a nice way to bookend uh what jason is doing and you know for um for some of the other profiles that we're doing you know the the guys who put up the big offensive numbers it's pretty easy to to highlight you know what their highlights are of the season um for for a guy like braun you know who, who a lot of his value comes what he contributes on the pk the way he helps solidify a deep pairing you know early in the year he was with uh, travis sanheim and for the last couple of months, he's been consistent with Robert Haig, and they've been a really solid third pair. And virtually, virtually game in and game out, Braun gives you a 17 to 19 minutes a game. And, um, you know, he, he he's a guy that you kind of set him and forget him in the lineup. And, and going back, it took him a few weeks to adjust, but if you look at what he's done from November 1st onward, and not coincidentally, the Flyers had the most points in the league in November and you know, they're way up at the top in the second half of the season as well. Uh, I mean, Braun has really been a rock of consistency for the team. And, um, you know, you you can put some numbers to it. You know, there are, I mean, honestly, you know, he has 19 points in the season. He's not a, he's not an offensive guy, but he even, he's even contributed in that way as well. But I, I just think that in terms of being able to balance your pairings, put him, you know, put him with, uh, as, as a, put him on right D with, uh, you know, with, Really different different partners, um, but but pretty consistently consistently with Hag, I think he's been everything the Flyers have asked him to be. He what I the way I kind of deem him, Bill, is I say that he gives you an honest game every game he plays. You know what I mean? And you need guys like that. To me, that's a professional. Look, some nights you may not be great, but it's an honest game every night. It's consistent. Um, very rarely is he going to have that stretch like he had in uh, uh, late December and er- into early January where he was putting up multi-point games. Um, but but he's going to give you an honest hockey game. And the effect that it's had on Robert Haig has been pronounced. Why do you think that pairing works so well together? Well, I, I think that um, you know a large part is that they are, as a third pairing, you're able to put them in matchups that are favorable to them. So, you know, you, all, you always look at how the puzzle pieces fit together. I, I think the fact that both of them, uh, both of them are, are, are strong physically, both of, them know, both of them know what works for them. You know, and uh, with, uh, with the case of Braun, um, I, I love when Chuck Fletcher was back during training camp, actually. He said playing against him is like swimming through seaweed. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh, always That's got stick. stick on puck. He's yeah. always got a tight gap on, on, on whoever he's playing against, you know, and it's just a constant battle. The, you know, he, he's pushing you, he's poke checking you, you know, it's, uh, he doesn't make it easy to play against him. And, and Hag is really, it's like two peas in a pod. Hag brings you a lot of the same kind of things. And in a third pairing kind of situation, it really works. And, and honestly, Braun is actually pretty good at getting the puck up to the forwards too. He, he makes, mm-hmm. he makes a good solid first pass. So he's not a, you know, there's nothing spectacular with him. But I, but I just think that, as you said, he gives you a good, honest game every game, and you always know what you're going to get from him. That's, um, you know, that, that, that's a big part of the equation, too, every, you know, as well. Um, for so many years, uh, Brad Marsh gave you the same thing, where every game you know, you know what he's going to give you. Not, not in theory, not, not just a talent thing. You know how he's going to handle every situation, every matchup. And that, that makes things easier on coaches. Coaches love having a player like that or two in the, in you know in, in their lineup and um again he's not even you know he's not he's not a 
he's not a black hole completely offensively either. He has 19 points in the season, um, 16 of them since November. So that's, uh, you know, for a guy in his role, he'll, he'll chip in a little bit that way as well. As you said, that that's not his role, but uh, I think when you're building a winning team, you know, that that's, uh, you, you need guys like that. And also guys like Braun have been very important along of course with the goaltending and, and just commitment from the team as a whole and why the goals against is so far down as, as a team this year. Yeah. I will say that early in the season on October 16th, I was a little nervous because uh, I think there's been only one moment this year that I can remember where I go, wow, he looked bad on that. But then again, I have to consider what happened because uh, against Edmonton on October 16th, he got blown by, but that was also uh, yeah. a guy named Connor McDavid who blew by him. But, and other than that, I mean, I think he's been uh, every bit as advertised. He brings a ton of experience as well. Now, Bill, he doesn't have a tremendous for, for his age at 33 played four years at UMass Amherst um, at, at hockey East and, uh, was with the Sharks and played a couple years in the AHL. Obviously missed a season because of the lockout. I mean, he's only played 669 games at, at 33 years of age. So there's not a lot of wear on the tires on a guy like Justin Braun at the NHL level either. So that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, he's uh, said he, he's been on a couple of deep playoff runs. He's never been, you know, he's never been the 22, 25 minute a night guy, uh, which uh, which benefits from longevity, you know, for, to a degree, he he's played essentially the same, essentially the same role for, for a large part of his career. So, um, he's the guy who I think could be, could be effective. He, he stays in shape. He, he's always ready to play. He's just, he's just a consummate pro. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the cap is going to look like as we were just talking about If He's a guy you'd be able to retain beyond the season because he is unrestricted over the summer, but you but whether it's Justin Braun or a similar kind of a player, you know, you can see the value of having a player like that in your lineup. Yeah, and the active stick is so important in today's game, not only defending a rush and great gaps, but with the speed of the game. But it's also great for eliminating passes through lanes in your in, in your D zone and those cross ice passes and cross lot line passes. It's cap hit right now, $3.8 million. He's in the uh, fifth year of a five-year deal. It's 4.75% of cap. Um, I don't know what kind of, you know, if he goes to market, what he will get offered or what will be there for him after spending all those years in San Jose. Uh, but he has certainly been a welcome addition to the blue line for the Philadelphia Flyers and uh, tremendous stuff. And again, you can read uh, Bill's full analysis on it as well at PhiladelphiaFlyers.com and you get the quotes there as well. Um, the other part of him too, Bill, is he, he's a tremendous guy to talk to. I love talking to him. Um, he articulates the game very well and he's a gentleman. We love the guys like that. Absolutely. You know, I never, I'd never had uh, interviewed or, or met Justin before this season. And he is, he's just, uh, he's a really good guy in, in the room, a good, a good go-to guy for, for us in the media, because he, you know, he's very honest. Um, you know, he, he tells things straight, but he's, he's pretty laid back for the most part. Um, good sense of humor, just, just a good guy. You know, I, I, I've really enjoyed having him around here this season and, you know, hopefully things could work out where they might be able to prolong that. But I, but I, it, you know, but I think that, um, you know, as long as get up and rolling here again, uh, I think that you really see his value and also Matt Niskanen's value too in, in the postseason. Those guys that have been through those battles and they're, you know, they're worth a whole lot when you get when you're in those bus win situations. Oh, you, you couldn't be more right. Another Minnesotan. As uh, with Matt Niskanen as well, and the general manager Chuck Fletcher, so uh, coming from that Minnesota area. So uh, the, uh, Justin Braun, the subject of our uh, player profile, he was drafted in the seventh round, mind you, 
201st overall in the 07 NHL entry draft by the San Jose Sharks. Good find deep in that draft for them. All right, Bill, before we wrap up this episode, I was wa- I've been watching a couple of games recently because obviously we have no live sports right now, and I am itching, and I had to scratch the itch the other night. And I saw NHL.com I put out a tweet, first of all, about a game that happened in 1994 that I went back and watched seven overtimes of. All the commercials were taken out. It was two hours and 20 minutes on YouTube. But I watched game six between the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils. Doc Emmerich on the call for the local Jersey feed in which Dominic Hasek had 70 saves and a shutout win, a seventh uh, or a four overtime, one nothing shutout with 70 saves. Marty Brodeur had 49 saves on 50 shots. That was a tremendous hockey game in 1994. I don't know if you recall that one. Yeah, just just the yeah the just the intensity of that game. Well, as you said, I mean they, those weren't uh, there wasn't a lot of stat padding in that game either. You know, I just <laughs> you know, there were there were a lot of quality chances and Hasek just I mean Hasek was unbelievable anyway. And you know he and Brodeur two of the best of all time. And that that game was uh, that game was a real treat to watch again for sure. Yeah, that, so that's one I'll recommend people go watch, especially if you like great goaltending because it was there on display. Some of the saves that uh, Hashik was making, unconventional as always, on guys like Stefan Richet and uh, John McClain and uh, Jimmy Dowd, uh, the Brick, New Jersey native. Uh, uh, tremendous stuff. But I also had a chance to watch the 1987, and I didn't go back and watch the Game 6 where the Flyers forced Game 7 against Edmonton. I actually went back and watched Game 7 when the Flyers lost 3-1 to one to the Edmonton Oilers and they won the Cup. And uh, Ron Hextall was named the, the winner of the Conn Smythe Trophy as the MVP, the fourth time in NHL history at that point where a, a, t- a member of the losing team won the MVP for the playoffs. Um, but what struck me about that, and I didn't recall it because I, I hadn't watched Game 7 ever again, was uh, the Flyers got off to a flying start, ended up with a 5-on-3, a Messier penalty about a minute and a half in, then Paul Coffey mugged Murray Craven. And then they got the only goal of the game. They were up one nothing in Game Seven, but just ran out of gas. That's that. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I mean, the Flyers were running almost on empty in Game Six, and the the tank unfortunately hit empty on in Game Seven. And you know, Ron Hextall kept at a one goal game once they got down two to one till near the end, till the Glenn Anderson goal late in the third period. Um, you know, I was <laughs> I I have to be honest that I did not watch it because. It was so painful at the time. I don't. Th- I still. I don't think I can still bring myself to watch it. I know that. Um, you know. Uh, I mentioned Brad Marshall. I, Marshy and I have talked about it. He's never watched the game again. And actually, because he came cl- so close to the cup twice and just didn't get there. You know, in, in '87 particularly, he does not watch cup ceremonies on the ice. He turns turns off the oh, TV. He wow. would watch. He would watch if the Flyers won it. That would be the first one, but he, he he can't bring himself to do it just because of how close they were. That was that was such a painful, painful loss, knowing how close they were. And also, if you remember, you know, we talk about the game of inches. Game two, which was a Flyers loss in overtime in Edmonton. Um, now, Yari Curry scored pretty early in, in that overtime. But right before that, and I believe it was believe it was Derek Smith. I could be wrong. Uh, he he had Grand Fuhr beaten to the long side, and Fuhr never reacted and didn't miss the long side by maybe an inch and a half. You know, yeah, yeah, what could have been? I, rest, I guess yeah, the rest of the series goes the same. Then all of a sudden, Daniel's goal is the cup winner. That, that's how close it was. Yeah, and uh, obviously that was the turned out to be the greatest team 
as voted uh, at the 100th anniversary, the greatest team in NHL history, that 87 Oiler team in the Flyers, pushed them to the brink. And I saw that the Edmonton Oilers, uh, Sportsnet in Canada, put out an all-time Oilers lineup for Game 7 of the Cup Final. And they have Gretzky centering Dreisaitl and Curry as their top line, McDavid centering Messier and Anderson, uh, Doug Waite, uh, centering Smith and Billy Garen and Craig McTavish on their fourth line, centering Bookberger, Kelly Bookberger and uh, Isatikinen. Their deep pairings, uh, Paul Coffey and Charlie Huddy, Chris Pronger and Smith, Lowe and Roostalainen, and their goalies are Fuhrer and Ramford. So I put you to a test, Bill, to give me the all-time Flyers team. Now, not just a line, as we kind of did, you did the all-decade team last week. Right. So you put together your all-time Flyers team, four lines, Three D pairings and two goalies. It was pretty interesting that the team you came up with. I, I love your top line, it's the LCB line. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that, that that one was a no brainer. It gets a little yeah. harder after that. There, there's there's no reason to break up the LCB line. So. Yeah, you you don't even mess with that one. So that that's yeah. your top line with Clark centering uh, Bill Barber and Reggie Leach. But your second line is sort of the Legion of Doom, sort of the Crazy Eights line. You yep. go Lindros, Leclerc, and Recky. Instead of uh, Lindros, Leclerc, and Michael Renberg, or or instead of Lindros, Recky, and uh, uh, Brent Fedek, but that's that. I mean, a lot of people forget just how great Recky was. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I mean Rex burst in with the team, uh, 123 point season, another 100 point season the year after that. Um, did you know <laughs> to accomplish that? And then his second sin with the team. Um, you know, he had another 90-plus point season, he had, and he had that when NHL scoring was really good at a low ebb, too. Um, he, he won three Bobby Clark trophies as team MVP. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He uh, really he played more games as a flyer than he did with any other team that he played for, too. Oh, is so, that right? I did not know that. More as a flyer than he did with Pittsburgh, more, you know, more as a flyer than he did with Montreal or any of the other stops he made along the way. So, you know, a lot of Recky's best years were as a flyer, and I love Michael Renberg. I mean, Renberg is one of my all-time favorite Flyers players, but in, in, putting, in putting, that, putting a trio together there, I, I, ha- I had to go with Rex. Okay. And then your third line, you have Drew centering Brian Prop for the guffaw and Tim Kerr. Well, that'd be a good power play right there, too, by the way. Uh, and then Poulin, Gagne, Poulin centering Simone Gagne and Murray Craven. Which is interesting, and I, and I was surprised you didn't go talk. I thought talk would be higher on your list. Yeah, and uh, I, I, there was a specific reason for that. Um, you know, in, in putting together a fourth line here, I wanted a couple guys that can go out and kill penalties. Um, Craven was an outstanding penalty killer. I think sure. he had something like nine, ten shorthanded goals over the first three, four years of his NHL career. Two-way player, you could move him, move him left side, right side, could play, could play center too if you need him to do that. You put him, you put him up in the lineup. He could be close to a point per game guy. Put him lower in the lineup. He took care of business his own end of the ice. Brought you some speed. And I also, we also already have two power forward types in the lineup in, in Leclerc and Kerr. So again, yeah. I mean, I, I love Talk. It's it's nothing nothing against Talk that he's not in there. I just thought, okay, I'm building a fourth line here, and, and uh, you to me he balances well off of Gagne and Poulin. And um, for the third line, you know, Prop and Kerr, of course, they had that line with Dave Poulin. I just bumped Pooley down the line, and I, I could not have Giroux in the lineup. So that, that's my forward core. Yeah, and Poulin, any consideration to Primo there? I thought about it, um, you know, and that, again, you, you could certainly go with Primo on the uh, on the fourth line. And, you know, particularly you think of 
primo circa that 2004 run where he, he team on his back um, against Tampa. You know, yeah. But I, I think when you go for, you know, I, I think Poulin would have in many franchises, Dave Poulin would have been considered the best captain in franchise history. Uh, he's, he's second after Clarkie, but I mean, those, those years in the eighties, um, I mean, the, you know, so many times there were, there were situations where the team could have totally gone south and quit on Mike Keenan. And Pooley was one of the guys who helped hold everything together. Um, he, he just, he, the amount of leadership he displayed after Pally Lindbergh died, you know, just, uh, and also the fact that he was a, a Selkie candidate year in and year out. Mm-hmm. And you're again, it's, uh, I mean, you, you could go with Keith Primo and not lose a thing. And, you know, he was captain as well. And it's no disrespect to Keith, but I, I, I had, I had to have Pooley in there. Yeah. And, uh, the highlight of was the five on three shorthanded goal from pulling on the breakaway. Yep. Just a tremendous, tremendous. He was, you're right. He was a great leader and to balance the team versus Keenan was no easy task. I'm sure, uh, your defensive pairings. And I love these and I'm right with you on these is uh Mark Howe with Brad McCurman. You got, you got to keep those two together. Jimmy Watson and Eric Desjardins and then chemo team and Bob Daly, uh, big number two, Bob Daly. Uh, and then your goaltenders, Bernie and Pelly Lindbergh. Uh, yep. any consideration to go Hexy over, uh, Pelly? Absolutely. Absolutely. There was consideration. Um, you know, Hexy revolutionized the position with with his puck handling. And, you know, Hexy, Hexy when he was young, before all the groin injuries, um, you know, he was, I mean, he was just unbelievable in the net. The saves that he would make, he was one of the first big goalies, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, it really, it, it's funny looking at the game today um, where Hexy would be, you know, I can an average size, a little above average size goalie, but but back then, I mean, Pelly was Pelly was very small, but yeah, but in terms 5, of five ten, yeah, yeah, if even that, I think Pelly was even smaller than that. Um, but just in terms of sheer reflexes, athleticism, uh, I you know Pelly, if you look at his numbers today, you know out of context, they don't look that impressive. When you look at when you look at the pedigree that Pelly Lindbergh had in his career. Go go back to that he, uh, you know, World Junior Championships uh, won the top goalie award. Goes to the American Hockey League and is, as a rookie with the Maine Mariners, he wins the league MVP, rookie of the year, their, their equivalent of the Vezina, sweeps those three awards, takes the team to the finals. Um, two years after that, he's an NHL All-Star as a rookie. Then he had a down year, his second year, for a variety of reasons. Then he wins the Vezina Trophy, and he was um, he was a Hart Trophy finalist, although nobody was going to beat Gretzky that year. And then then the Flyers get up to an unbelievable start in, in 85-86. Pelly was actually off to a way better start that year than he was in early November of the previous year when he won the Vezina, of course, and then, then the accident happens. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a bit of projection there, but I, I think Pelly was still getting better as crazy as that is to think he was already the best goalie in the league and he was still improving. So, you know, I, I mean, again, it's, it's no slight on Hexy. Hexy, you know, you to, to, to pick Hexy in that spot. And he had, you know, uh, Hexy was an outstanding goalie in his first stint with the team and had that unbelievable rookie year, probably one of the best rookie years a goalie's ever had anywhere. Um, and he was still a good goalie in his second stint. I actually thought in, I actually thought the second best year of his Flyers career was 95-96. Um, 
you know, they lost to Florida. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought Hexie had a really good year and a really good playoff run that year. But I, but I just think that, that Pelly was just a step beyond. He was truly something, you know, something special. He would have been one of the all-time goalies in the league had, uh, had he not passed away. So I, I, went, I went with Pelly. Um, you, you're limited to two, but, then, you know, obviously no slight to Hexie. Yeah, well, Hexie maybe can be the e-bug. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he'd be. Yeah, I'll also just put it in real fast for the defense score. Uh, people forget how good Bob Daly was just because Daly's career was over at age 29. He had yeah. a, yeah, he had a, he had a severe injury. It was actually, it was actually the same game Pelly made his NHL debut. It was also the final game of Daly's career. He wow. shattered in a, uh, in Buffalo, was pushed into the end boards by Tony McKegney, and I think he had like 200 micro fractures in his in his ankle. So it was like like a vase that shattered, and he never played again. Um, but he, you know, he was the guy who go out and get you 20 goals. That when the Flyers made the uh, Cup Finals in '80, I believe he had 17 points in 19 playoff games. Uh, you know, a couple NHL All Star games was still in the prime of his career. So I I think he's a name that, that might elude some people just because his career was over so young, but I, I'd want him in my starting six. And he had that big booming shot too. He, he could fire at a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Ah, well, great stuff, Bill. Great list. You came up with great uh, all time team. And yeah, Pelly, I still remember uh, when, when I heard the news and back in 1985 in that season and then as a, you know, watching just how fast he was, how his quickness was incredible. A five, nine goaltender, that moved like lightning and uh boy it was it was heartbreaking when we lost Pelly at just 26 years of age and would have been 60 years old now if you can believe that all those years ago bill great job on the episode we appreciate you joining us on flyers daily coming up friday will be another player profile it'll be nicholas albay kubel so uh he's contributed to this team in a lot of good ways and a guy that maybe you thought you could pass back and forth through waivers throughout this season. Uh, no, 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 not according to Nick and uh, not according to the NHL now. He's a guy that if you try to put him through waivers at this point would be snatched up in a heartbeat. So we'll have his player profile coming up on Friday's episode. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for doing this, Bill. And we'll talk to you next time on Flyers Dale. You're such an inspiration for the ways that I will never ever choose to be.